0: How many of you love you some Seinfeld? Anybody? I love Seinfeld. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. Glad that you're here. Excited to be with you. North campus, online campus, south campus. It's going to be a great morning in the Lord. That is a hilarious clip and a hilarious episode because we've all been there, right? How many of you have been there where you're like, but I had a reservation. (laughs) I thought that held the car. Or maybe you're at a hotel and you're like, but I had a reservation. And they're like, we can't find your name in the system. And you're like, but I confirmed 7,282 times, and I'm pretty sure I should have my name in the system. Or maybe you're at at an airport, you're about to get on the plane, right, and they start calling people's names or they start asking, hey, can you take different flights? We'll give you money if you can take different flights. Why? Because this one's full. It's over booked right and it's like wait a second I thought the ticket held a seat are you saying you sold my ticket to somebody else I don't get that it's hilarious because you've been there and it's makes sense it's kind of a no-brainer when it comes to reservations and tickets and things like that but if I'm honest I've been in a place where I kind of act like these companies uh, as well like I'm good at starting things but sometimes I'm not great at finishing them you know Sometimes I'm not great at like following through, like I'm good at the starting, but not sometimes great at the staying, like staying focused and staying persistent until the thing is done. Is anybody there with me this morning that you would be honest? Okay, I see those hands online, looking good. Yeah. I, sometimes I can, like, and as a dad, as a dad I, I find myself kind of bumping into this whole idea with my kids on a regular basis. My kids, I don't know about your kids, but my kids are really good at starting stuff, but not great at finishing it. Like I have two nine-year-old boys and it's not uncommon for me to stop by their room after I've told them to clean their room and just go, guys, what's going on? I told you to clean your room and it's a mess. You did nothing. And they're like, no, we did stuff. Like, we cleaned that, look that, and we moved that. I'm like, that's great, but somewhere along the way you stopped cleaning and you started playing. And I didn't say go start cleaning your room. I said go clean your room from top to bottom, from beginning to end. And... You know, I, I have this conversation with married people all the time, too, in counseling that, hey, it's really, not, it's really not the starting that matters. It's the staying. Like, love is not a feeling or an emotion. It's not some magical hole that you fall into or fall out of. Like, I fell into love. I fell out of love. That's not the way it works. It's, love is not happiness. Love is staying, even when it's difficult. Love is persevering even when you don't want to, right? That's what love is. And we live in this culture of like, Fast starts and quick success, and we love to to talk about the guys who are just successful right out of the gate, right? Big beginnings and all of that, and I I totally get that. I mean, you've got to start somewhere, right? But I really believe that this whole thing, this whole following Jesus thing is more about persevering than it is about beginning. It's more about the day-to-day decision to endure and to follow Jesus no matter what than it is about I raised my hand when I was 14 and I got dunked or whatever, right? It just feels like it's about the daily thing and the finishing. Well, you know what's a thousand times better than a strong start? A strong finish. And so here's the idea that I want to throw out to you today for you to consider faith is more about staying the course than starting the race faith is more about staying the course than starting the race. That culture of quick success and big beginning it's got us focusing on the beginning even in our faith journey, even in the church. But the Bible man it does the opposite. It talks about persevering and finishing it talks about finishing the race well, persevering to the end. The Bible says you should stand firm and be strengthened in your endurance and in your patience. The the Bible Jesus says even in the Bible that it's those who would stand firm till the end that will be saved. I mean, it's all over the Bible. Faith is more about staying the course than it is about starting the race. In fact, Jesus even told this story about a farmer scattering seed. You've probably heard this before if you've been in church very long. Jesus said that the seed represented the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the soils, there would be four soils in this parable. And each of them represents a different type of heart that receives the gospel or has a chance to receive the gospel. And so he says the farmer scattering the seed and the seed goes on the path and it doesn't take root at all. It just stays on the top. Birds come in, steal it away. He said that's like the heart that doesn't receive the gospel. They don't understand it and the devil steals the seed. That's, the, that's number one soil. But the other three soils all produce a plant. They all take root. And so he says, some of the seed fell on the rocky soil, and it sprung up, and the sun scorched it, and it died. He said, that's like the people who understand the gospel, and they receive it, and they're all super excited, but their roots don't go deep, and they run into something that's difficult in their life, and they give up. Then there's some seed that falls among the thorns, and he goes, you know, it actually takes root and grows longer, but over time, the the thorns choke it out. He goes, that's like the people who receive the gospel and persevere for a little while, but then the thorns, and he says, deceitfulness of riches and cares of this world, choke out the plant before it can bear root. And then, of course, there's the fourth type of soil, the good fertile soil, where the seed of the gospel takes root. A plant grows, and it bears fruit. Isn't it interesting that three out of four soils produce a plant, but only one out of four produces fruit? It's the one that perseveres. See, you can't just take reservations, you gotta hold them, you gotta keep them. That's the most important part. If you have your Bible, you can grab it and head over to the book of Haggai. We're going to look at Haggai today, to, together today. I preached a message on Haggai a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, would love for you to watch it on YouTube just because this message is tied to that one. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. So you probably flip past it a lot. It's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Uh, actually, knowing you guys, you've been reading it every day for a long time, and if you drop your Bible, it just automatically flips to Haggai, but don't be ashamed to use your table of contents if that's not the case, or the Bible under your seat, seat around you, if you're at North Campus or South Campus, page 791, but just to remind you so, we know what we're reading. Haggai is about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. So, God had allowed for foreign armies led by King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and destroy the temple in Jerusalem and take the people of Israel captive as slaves for 70 years. But then he allowed them to come back just like he promised. And Nehemiah, the books of Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai are telling of their coming back, the beginning of the people of Israel coming back to Jerusalem. And and we learned in Haggai a couple weeks ago when we talked about it, just that, uh, you know, they came and they got excited about building the temple and they built the altar and the foundation and they were excited and they built for two years, but then they faced opposition from the Samaritans who were there um, since they had left and they quit. They gave up for 14 years. The construction site, there was no activity. They just put the project on hold and Haggai's job is to come and get them back to building the temple, to remind them of their purpose, get them to choose the difficult wrong or choose the difficult right over the easy, comfortable wrong. And God just says very clearly, hey, just go up to the hills, get the wood, bring it down, build my house. Just do it. Just get going. And so that brings us to where we are today. To their credit, they do it. They obey. It says they feared the Lord, and then in verse 13, that Haggai delivered this message from the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they got back to rebuilding the temple. He stirred up their spirit. Have you ever had God stir up your spirit before? Like if you're a follower of Jesus, this happens sometimes where God will just give you a faith for something, some hope for something, and you're just like, I gotta do this. Like I'm just ready to go. And you just get stirred up. Have you ever been stirred up before? God stirred up their spirit and they're like, okay, we gotta get back to rebuilding the temple. We gotta go. And so they start rebuilding the temple. We're We're supposed to do this. Let's do this. And they get to work and the Bible says that one month in, they give up again. They're like, yeah, let's go. One month later, oh, never mind. We're done with this. The first time they had given up for that 14 years, they would given up because of physical opposition coming from the Samaritans. This time, what happens is that they, they gather together for one of their religious festivals around the construction site of the temple, and people look at it and they go, is this it? Oh, this does not look very good. Is this all you guys have accomplished? And so they feel discouraged. They're like, man, we're trying. We were stirred up for the Lord. And you guys are like, Yeah, it's nothing. And they're like, maybe we should just stop. Let's just, let's just give up. It's not even worth it. Have you ever done this before? I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you're like, we're going to get out of debt. We're going to get out of debt. We're going to get out of debt. Christmas. It's in December again. We're going to get out of debt next year. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to go on a diet. Twinkies on sale at Walmart. Go on a diet next week. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to read the Bible. Like, I'm going to get up early. I'm before the kids need to go to school and I need to go to work. I'm going to set my alarm. I'm to get up early. I'm going to have a quiet time with the Lord. And you're stirred up and you're like, I'm going to do this. First day, the alarm goes off and you're like, yeah. You get up, you get your Bible, you read it. You're like, this is awesome. Your day is awesome. Second day, the alarm goes off. You're not as excited. You kind of stumble out of bed, but you get it done. Third day, you're confused as to why the alarm is going off. Why it's so dark outside. (laughs) Something's wrong with my phone. But then you remember, you get up, you sit in your chair, you get your Bible out. The next thing you know, you got little hands tapping you. Wake up. Mom, Dad, is it it wake-up time? Fourth day, you don't even set your alarm. What's the point? We go, we're going to do this. And then, when we don't see the progress or make the progress that we think we should have made, we get discouraged. And that discouragement causes us to give up, causes us to not stay the course. That's exactly what happened to the people of God. They're like, we're going to do this. We're stirred up. Let's go after this thing. One month in, it doesn't go as they expected. They get discouraged and they give up. And then God asks them two questions that I want you to see in verse 3 of chapter 2. Through the prophet Haggai, he says this. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Okay, so he goes, who is old enough to remember the glory of Solomon's temple? And what about this one? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So he's calling out a couple of major causes of discouragement. And it's important for you to see this. Why? Because faith is more about staying the course than it is about starting the race, right? So the first one he calls out is critical comparisons, He's going, hey, isn't this like, have you, has any of you seen Solomon's temple? I mean, wasn't it awesome? And this one's not anything in comparison to that one. And they're doing the same thing that you and I often do. They are comparing their beginning with someone else's end, someone else's finish. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get discouraged when I compare myself to where other people are at and I'm not there yet. Like maybe you're a mom and you're comparing where another mom's house, you know, her house and her kids to your house and your kids. And you're like, man, this mom's got it all together. Like her house is clean. Her kids are in like matching outfits going to school. They got scholarships to college at seven years old. My house, like I don't even know when the last time I cleaned it was. I'm just hoping my kids had pants on this morning, you know. <laughs> or maybe you just got home from her just leaving coffee at, at another mom's house and you're going, what the? Does this lady had like Chip and Joanne on speed dial or what? This house is like out of a magazine. How is she doing that? Or maybe you're a guy and you're comparing to another guy and you're going, man, he's got it all together. He's got it all. He's got an awesome house, awesome job, new sports car. He has hair. He looks fit. And I'm over here like my forehead has definitely gone into a midhead, you know. And I'm like got this dad bod going on. I don't like my job. My house is a wreck. My car's in the shop you're just discouraged. I heard someone say once that the quickest way to destroy something is to compare it to something else. You want to destroy your marriage? Compare it to somebody else's marriage. You want to destroy your career? Compare it to somebody else's career. And this whole critical comparisons thing, it's worse than it's ever been, isn't it? Why? Why? Because of social media. Because you're scrolling going, oh, what in the world? They're on another vacation? How many vacation pics are these people going to post? That's like seven this summer. And I can't even go on one vacation. I'm barely paying my rent. And if I went on vacation, I wouldn't get my kids to smile like that. I guarantee you. Or you're scrolling, you're going, oh, having a little coffee get-together, huh? Okay. <laughs> Wish I was invited. <laughs> Guess I'm not good enough, cool enough to be in your group. Or you're scrolling and you go, does this lady need to do a selfie every five seconds? I don't know. I still remember what she looked like five seconds ago. Why why does she have so many likes? This is nuts. I got to get in on this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a selfie, but I'm a Jesus juker, you know. So I'm going to take a selfie, but it's not just going to be a me. I'm going to. I'm like put my Bible in my lap, you know, like have a little coffee cup, take a picture of my Bible in my coffee cup, hashtag quiet time. But I'm also going to put my legs up so everybody can see my legs, you know. Because I've been working on them legs. I've been working on them. And the gym, got a good tan. I want everybody to see that, but also Jesus, you know. And you're, you're comparing and you just get, you get discouraged, you know? What's wrong with me? I'm not as good as them. That's exactly what's happening with the remnant in Haggai, the temple they were working on. It just didn't look as good as Solomon's temple. And there were some people who had actually been there, and they're like, yeah, you guys are failing. This doesn't look as good. It pales in comparison to the glory of Solomon's temple, and they feel discouraged. Critical comparisons. The other one is small beginnings. Small beginnings. He goes, does this one look like nothing in your eyes? They go, man, we're, we're trying real hard. But it's just like, it's not, we're not seeing a lot of progress. Like it's not looking like we want it to look. Maybe like I'm trying really hard to start a business, but it's just not going really well. I mean, it's, it's fun. But it's just small. I thought it would be bigger by now. Maybe, maybe you're like, man, I, I, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going I'm to work on my muffin tops, you know. You guys don't know what muffin tops are? It's these, all right? I'm going to work on my muffin tops. and So you go on a diet for a month, and for a whole month, you eat only asparagus and almonds, all right? And you're standing on the scale at the end of the month, and you're like, I lost two pounds. I lost two pounds. At this rate, I'm going to hit my weight goal in 163 years. And it's just discouraging or maybe you finally go and get the help your marriage needs and you go to counseling or a pastor or something for a month and you're like, man, it's actually gotten worse. I'm not seeing the progress I wanted to see. We fought on the way to church today. I mean, we were cussing and then we pulled into the, you know, cussing at each other and then pulled into the parking lot and we're like, okay, now we're good Christians, you know. It just didn't feel right. We're not hitting that progress. You feel like you're Taken a step forward, then two steps back. Or what about this one? I, I've been a Christian for so long, you know. But I still can't stop filling the blank. Cussing. Spending my money where I know I shouldn't spend it. Judging other people. Looking at things on TV and on internet that I know I shouldn't look at. I really feel like I would be, I felt like I would be farther along than I am now. I'm not where I thought I would be, and you just feel discouraged. I'm trying my best, but it's not working, and it just builds and builds and builds until you feel like the people in Haggai felt. I don't even think it's worth it. I don't even think it's worth it. I'll never get there. Here's what I know. In a Group this size, North Campus, South Campus, online, listening to this right now, there is definitely, there are definitely some of us who in some category or aspect of your life, you're feeling this. It just doesn't feel worth it. I don't even think I'm going to keep going. I think I'm just going to quit this thing. I'm just going to be done with that. I've accomplished so little, and it's not as good as them. You're just discouraged. Yeah, I can't. Can I be real with you for a second then i 'll go back to being fake, but i 'm going to be real for a moment. Yeah, I live with constant discouragement in my life. I sometimes it's at a low level and sometimes it's at a really, really high level, like many of you. I live with this discouragement, and sometimes i 'm just discouraged at my own personal sinfulness, no deep dark secret I just feel like being a pastor and a Christ follower as long as I had I'd I'd have a better handle on some things you know some doubt envy and pride and I I thought I'd be you know more discerning than I am now and more forgiving than I am now and more empathetic than I am now and I just I just feel discouraged you know and I almost always feel like I could have done better I could have been a better dad. I could have handled that situation with my wife better. I could have preached better, led better, inspired better, discipled better. I could have done better. And on the pastor side, you know, there's just so much to do. There's so many people who don't know Jesus, so many marriages that are struggling, so many kids that don't have a safe home, so many people who are deceived into thinking that they can accomplish their life's purpose apart from Christ. And it just feels like, man, I could have done better. I could have done better. And I know some of that is, is holy or godly discontentment. You know, that if you don't have this holy discontentment, you're never going like, to go and try to change stuff. You're never going to try to do stuff for God. I, I mean, without holy discontentment, we end up just listening to worship music every day, all day, and calling that the Great Commission, right? So I get holy discontentment, but sometimes my holy, for me, holy discontentment can slide into unholy discouragement and you're going like why are you telling us all this i just want you to know that we all live there at some level we're all struggling with some type of discouragement like, man, they're, they're just doing so much more than I'm doing. I'm trying harder than them, but they're accomplishing more. Or, Man, it just doesn't, hasn't grown the way I thought it would grow. man, my temple doesn't look as good as Solomon's temple. And we get discouraged. So the question becomes, what do we do when we find ourselves, what should we do when we find ourselves discouraged? I want to show you what God tells his people to do in Haggai when they're feeling discouraged. So, you're here a couple weeks ago, you may remember that they were like, hey, we're done. We don't want to do this anymore. We can't do it. It's too hard. And God was super simple and he gave them three steps like just get to, just start these three things. Go up to the hills, get the wood, build my temple step by step. This week what's happening is that we've chosen the difficult right over the comfortable wrong and we've started step one, step two, but we're just getting discouraged because of that critical comparison and uh, the, the small beginning Thing And so God is, again, lovingly simple in his direction to his people and to you and me. It's Haggai 2.4. First he talks to the governor, then the high priest, then all the people. It says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So did you catch it? I mean, what did he tell him to do over and over and over? He said, be what? Strong. Say it again. Be strong. And then he said, work. Be strong and work because I'm with you. What do you do when you're discouraged? Two things. You be strong and you get to work. You be strong and you get to work. Listen, you don't just think about getting to work. You don't just plan to get to work. You don't just dream the dream. You get to work. You be strong and you do the work. What work? The work that God told you to do. You to do. That means your barometer isn't what someone else is doing because you don't know what God told them to do. You just know what God told you to do. So you be strong and you do the work. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go on. I'm discouraged. You just be strong and you do the work. You just put down another stone. They're building the temple. You just put down another stone. You're going, I already put down a stone. I just did that. It doesn't seem to me making a difference. You just be strong and you continue to do the work. You show back up and you put another brick down. You put another brick down. You put another brick down. You keep doing what God has called you to do. You do consistently the last day. Thing That God called you to do, even if it's difficult, you just keep doing it. You'd be strong and you show back up to work. You'd be strong and you turn off social media for a week or 30 days or forever because you're stuck in this comparison trap. You be strong and you love your spouse no matter how they respond. You'd be strong and you do good work at your job, even when nobody else is doing good work. You'd be strong and you open the Bible every single morning, even when you don't feel it immediately. You'd be strong and you keep praying. Even if you're not seeing the result that you want, you'd be strong and you honor your leader or your boss, even when they're not acting honorable. You be strong and you love your kids. Stand for your kids. Pray for your kids, even when they're not standing for anything that you think is right. You be strong and you show back up to work. You be strong and you do the work. Stay in the game. Never give up one brick at a time. This reminds me of Galatians 6, 9 that says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap. Get the harvest. Get the blessing. If we do not give up. You can't give up. You can't give up. Be strong and do the work. Here's the thing, though. How do we do that? Don't you hate when somebody tells you to be strong when you're in a weak spot? They're like, just be strong. Just be, God, just be strong. I want to say, yeah, I didn't think of that. Be strong. I was being weak. I want to be strong. If I could be strong, I wouldn't be in this predicament, right? Do you remember the end of the Haggai passage we read a minute ago? Verse 4 It said, be strong, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And then in verse 5, my spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. So here's the thing. This is so important, beloved. I've been praying that we would get this, that the Holy Spirit would allow us to get this. Here it is. We're not supposed to be strong in our own power. We live in New Covenant times, and our New Testament says that when we are weak, God is strong in our weakness and through us. In other words, I don't have to be strong in my own strength. In fact, I can't be strong and do the work, but I can't be strong in my own strength. This is the key to all of it. If I ended this message by saying, you can do it, I'd be lying. You can't do it. I mean, you got no shot at doing this thing. I mean, there's no way you're going to do it. You can't. This is a really inspiring message, isn't it? You're probably like, I don't think this is the right job for you. (laughs) But it's true. You can't do it. Only he can. This is so important, I pray, that we'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. I mean, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, I've got supernatural power living in me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power, the same supernatural, God-saturated power that healed the wounds of Jesus and put back together his fractured body and resurrected him from the dead. Is it working us? The same power is at work in the deepest parts of who we are. The same power is at work healing wounds, breaking things down and building them back up, putting to death the things that are of the former man and raising the things that are of Jesus, just like the power that rose Jesus from the dead. The same power is at work in us. Isn't that awesome? At work in who? All of us? No. For us who believe Him, the same power is at work in those who believe Him, Ephesians 1 says. So when you're discouraged and you keep going, and maybe you're thinking, I gotta get to work, I gotta gotta be strong, and I gotta do this thing, you can't do it in your own power you got to lean into the power and spirit of God that lives in you. We need God. Because even in Haggai, he goes on to prophesy and say that the glory of God is going to fill the temple. And then he says the latter glory, the later glory, is going to be greater than the former glory. And it sounds like he's saying that the temple that they're working on and they're discouraged about is actually going to be more magnificent than Solomon's temple ever was. But it wasn't. It never was. Historians will tell you that the second temple paled in comparison to Solomon's first temple. It's because God wasn't talking about that temple. It's because through Haggai, God was prophesying and giving the people a glimpse, a small glimpse into what he was going to do in Jesus 1,500 years later. Jesus changed everything. Here's what I'm saying. I'm praying the Holy Spirit would allow us to get this. In the old covenant, you would bring a sacrifice to the temple in hopes that it would make you right before God. But in the new covenant, God comes to you, sacrifices himself, makes you right before him, and turns you into the temple of his Holy Spirit. This is so important. Old covenant, you go to the temple where God lives. New covenant, you are the temple where God lives. You didn't get it. Old covenant, you go to the temple where God lives. New covenant, beloved, you are the temple where God lives. Isn't that amazing? You have the spirit of God living in you. John 14, Jesus said the spirit would be with us, but also in us. 1 Corinthians 3, the apostle Paul says, you are and I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not just with us, but in us. And 1 John 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Are you catching it? Jesus is the greater glory that Haggai was talking about. So every time you put a brick down, you glorify Jesus. Every time you love some because he lives in you, every time you love somebody, you're glorifying Jesus. Every time you forgive somebody, you're glorifying Jesus. Every time you step out of your comfort zone and share the love of Jesus, you're glorifying Jesus. Every time you sacrifice your own desires and your own comfort and your own convenience to obey God in faith and step out and further his kingdom and renown on earth, you're glorifying Jesus. And so if you're discouraged, I want you to know this simple yet profound truth. It really changes everything. You're never alone. You're never alone. I have the spirit of God living in me. So you can do everything and anything that God calls you to do. Not only start the race, but stay the course. He's with you. The Spirit is in you. So, because of that, out of that, in response to that, you be strong. You do the work. You stay the course. One brick at a time. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to speak to us every time we open your word. We are thankful. May this truth that we are temples of your spirit May it sink deep into our hearts and create faith, action, change. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, we're running out of time, but I want to give you just a moment and I want to pray for you. So if you're in this place, online, North Campus, South Campus, and you're, you're in a place of discouragement and could be anything, could be something to do with, you know, Bible reading or your marriage or your job or something God told you to do and it's just not what you thought it would be and it'd be easier just to give up and you're just thinking, man, I just feel like I should give up, but you're discouraged. I just want to pray together for God to do something about that through his power that lives in you. And so if that's you, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Yeah, hands going up. I'll just hold them up. I'm I'm with you. Jesus, we're just we can't do this without you. And we know that you're calling us to some stuff, but we can't do it apart from your power. And we just feel discouraged. So Holy Spirit, please encourage us today to lean not into our own power and our own strength, but in your power to see your strength and your glory from our weakness. And because of that, to to be strong in your strength and do the work that you've called us to do. So we just confess we're discouraged And we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. And maybe you're in this room as we continue in an attitude of prayer. And this resurrection power that's inside of us, you don't really know what that means or you don't really... You've never really experienced that. And and I was talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. And honestly, if if you're honest with you, you're kind of in the old covenant. Like you're trying to do good works so that God would accept your sacrifice and accept you. But listen Jesus is the only and eternal sacrifice. There is no other way, there is no other name, there is no other salvation. And so if you're here, South Campus, North Campus, online, and you're going, man, I don't think I know him like that. I don't think he lives in me. Maybe it's because you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus. And so I don't want to leave here without giving you a moment to do that. Just surrender, just in your own words to say, Jesus, I need you. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it, but I need you. I want you to live in me. I want you to change me. You don't need a pastor or a priest or a certain incantation. Just in your own words, ask God to change you, help you surrender, live in you. And then that first step or maybe next step of obedience, it's baptism. We we get to baptize people here all the time saying, I've given my life to Jesus. That's what the word says, get baptized. And so I put a, I put a QR code. I just want to make it as easy as possible. I put a QR code in your Park news notes on the screen. You can scan it. Just tell us your name and email, maybe a phone number, something like that. It's like three questions, and we will follow up with you to talk to you about baptism. But we would love for you to get baptized. But if you're in this room and you would say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. It's rededicating after years. It's the first time I've ever done this. I need God to change me. If that's you with our eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm just going to say a prayer over you. Would you lift your hand up so I can see you and I can pray for you? Yeah, I see those hands at the back. Anyone else? Yep, yep. Keep them up. Yeah, all over. Lord, in Jesus' name, I just pray that this would be the good soil. We pray against the devil that would come and steal the seed, the cares of this world that would choke it out, the scorching sun that would cause a problem. Lord, in Jesus' name, this is good, fertile soil. We pray that it goes down deep, grows a plant, and bears fruit, perseveres. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.